Romans 3, and we're going to be thinking uh, on two verses tonight, <coughs> verse 25 and 26. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Language is a very interesting thing. Uh, sometimes without using words in the right way, you can fail to communicate uh, or you can misunderstand what's being said to you. It's been said that America and Britain are a common people, are, are two peoples divided by a common language. Uh, so we, we say things that we understand and they hear something different and uh, vice versa. When we had uh, Siraj with us recently, uh, his, his English was fantastic. His linguistic skills are great. Uh, and in a sense, there's nothing uh, remarkable with that because a lot of people from uh, that part of the world, the Indian subcontinent, have fantastic English. But what was quite remarkable was uh, his grasp of Gaelic. <laughs> and uh, when uh, he was in the manse with us, he was coming out with his Gaelic. A lot of it had been taught by our own Esther, and it was vernacular Gaelic. It wasn't the Gaelic of textbooks. It was Gaelic that, uh, you know, that, that translated uh, into uh, everyday uh, uh, forms. We need to handle language carefully. It's the same in all kinds of communication. Think of social media. I, I recall uh, someone from a generation above who was getting to grips with the, the matter of texting and uh, would finish off text uh, to the grandchildren with uh, lol grandpa. <laughs> uh, misunderstanding the, the, the meaning of that particular abbreviation. This morning, when we were thinking of prayer, we were at one point thinking of how important it is to have the Word of God shape our language as we speak to God. In this conversation that we have with God, our own thinking and our communicating as fallen people uh, is distorted by the world around us. Our view of what God is, who God is, is often corrupted by the bombardment of false ideas that we have, and our view of the world is similarly distorted. And so we saw how important it is to let the Word of God shape our approach to God and to be even using the, the Scriptures themselves in our praying so that we speak back to God the words that He has spoken to us. So words are really really important. It's not just words, and especially when we're thinking of important theological words, important Bible words. There is so much can turn in this, and we have been going through uh, a very you know, intense section in Romans where a lot of very important words are being used. Justification. That's a really important word. And we have come to see that justification means that uh, because of the work of Christ, because of his living a perfect life, we can have his righteousness given to us. Because he died uh, as a perfect
perfect sacrifice, we can have our sin forgiven. Righteous, our justification is being given a legal standing of right before God. Now, since the Reformation, there's been a, a break in understanding with the Roman Catholic Church because our Roman Catholic friends uh, believe that justification is uh, God's grace uh, helping us to actually be uh, right people, to, to have our own goodness. And our response to that is if any part of our salvation, any part, even 5%, rests on what I am, then I'm a goner because I can never contribute even the 5% allocated to me as a perfect righteousness. I just can't do it. I need a full and complete and a perfect righteousness from Christ. So it's important, isn't it, to understand these words, justification. I'm made right with God because of the, the, the righteousness of Christ. Redemption is another word. Uh, we were looking at that word last time. Redemption means that we're set free from the power of sin to condemn us by the payment of a price. The lifeblood of Christ, his perfect sacrifice, purchased by God, bought to belong to him. Tonight, we are focusing in on a word that's not even translated properly in most of our Bibles. Uh, it has to be said, it was a great disappointment when the NIV uh, chose to opt for what it calls dynamic equivalence when it came uh, to this particular word. Uh, and we have uh, a kind of perambulation they have here of a, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement and then down at the bottom, or as the one who would turn aside his wrath, taking away sin. I think the feeling was that propitiation, which is the word, was too unknown and too technical and would frighten away people. But with anything that you come to that is worthwhile, you get to know the technical language, don't you? Whatever we're doing. And so it's, it's to be regretted that they made that decision. The English Standard Version uh, didn't go down that route. And it's important, I think, that we have words like this which are expressive of truth and we, we learn what they mean. So we are going to look at this word propitiation this evening and we're going to think of, first of all, what it is and then how it, can, how it is that we benefit from propitiation and lastly, why it's important. What is propitiation? What has God done in setting forth as a propitiation? Jesus. Propitiation is the soothing of the wrath of someone who is wrathful because of some wrong. Appeasing the wrath of someone. Propitiation calms, soothes the one who is wrathful. Professor John Murray, uh, late of Westminster Seminary, in his commentary, he uh, gives a kind of gives a helpful definition alongside redemption. So he's kind of comparing and contrasting them. And he says this, Redemption contemplates our bondage and is the provision of grace to release us from that 
bondage. Propitiation contemplates our liability to the wrath of God and is the provision of grace whereby we may be freed from this wrath. So it's two ways of looking at the work of Christ as dealing with our problem as sinners. We are in bondage, redemption, Christ has freed us from that. Uh, we are under the wrath of God. Uh, God has provided uh, a, a solution to that through propitiation. Okay, let, let me illustrate uh, in everyday terms the, 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 the concept of propitiation. Some of us uh, will connect with this, I'm sure. Uh, a couple are looking forward to celebrating their wedding anniversary. Uh, the husband books a classy uh, a table, a classy restaurant. Uh, he brings home the menus so that they can uh, together choose what they want to eat. But that very day, uh, his firm lurches into a crisis, and he has to stay uh, on at the office beyond hours. He knows that his wife will not be amused by this turn of events, and he is right. She is presently sitting at home, to use Burns' language, nursing her wrath to keep it warm. But being a wise man, he goes and he orders from a florist the most expensive bouquet of flowers that uh, is available. And so when he turns up, uh, late on in the evening, on the doorstep, what is his, <laughs> the first thing that his wife sees is this beautiful bouquet of flowers and the aroma from the flowers. And her wrath is soothed. <laughs> we live in hope. <laughs> she, is, <laughs> she is propitiated. <laughs> so let me say a number of things about propitiation. First of all, it's telling us that God is a personal God who displays his wrath against sin. It is a person who is wrathful. Now, this idea is very much opposed by uh, some people within the church who don't really believe the Bible and project a God who's kind to everyone, who's kind of indulgent, who wants everybody to have a good time and will accept everyone who does their best. Uh, we're going to close our, our service tonight singing the hymn In Christ Alone. And some of you might know that uh, in the States, uh, one of the, the mainline churches uh, asked Stuart Townend if he could get permission to change uh, one of the lines of In Christ Alone. Uh, the offending line was, For on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And this church wanted to change the line to, uh, On the cross, the love of God was magnified. Now, they wanted that to be the, the version in the hymn book. And, okay, well, that's true, and nobody would deny it, that, that on the cross, God's love is magnified. But Stuart Townend refused permission for them to do that, and quite rightly, because they wanted to rub out a doctrine, uh, a biblical doctrine from uh, the hymnody, and he wasn't for that. Now, it's, it is simply silly to argue against the, the doctrine of propitiation, that the cross has turned aside the wrath of God, that the, that the sacrifice of the cross has soothed, has calmed the wrath of God. And God is no longer wrathful with us 
because of what Jesus has done. Because it's all over Scripture. And especially, how could you come to this point and want to rub out propitiation? Because everything that Paul has been saying in, in, in Romans 1 is about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all, un, the, against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is our great problem, that God's wrath is on us, and we need to be delivered from that. And how are we delivered from wrath? The wrath is propitiated. A sacrifice soothes the wrath. It turns it aside. Now, on the matter, um, of course, folks don't like to think of God having wrath at all. Uh, the idea that God should be angry against anything uh, is abhorrent. You know, he's a God of love. But it's a mark of a society in decline, isn't it, where we move from uh, having a proper indignation about things to being completely indifferent, to being anaesthetized against uh, the, the horror of things. Something like this has happened in regard to abortion, of course. Uh, it's, it's been filmed of, it, of its, its horror, that it's the taking of, of a life. But at our best, at our best, we are angry against wickedness, and, and we can know a proper indignation against wickedness. And, and that becomes a reflection of, of God's wrath. And just as a, as a personal reflection, I think of how I came to, to know the, the Karen people. When I first went to, to visit the Karen people, um, I didn't know an awful lot about their own personal sufferings or their history. But what I was getting to know was that here were a lovely people. I felt completely at home amongst them. They were gentle and they were God-fearing. They had an appetite for the Word of God. And I loved them. And then, over the years, I began to, to hear their stories. And I heard about the, the Burmese army and how the Burmese army had, had burned uh, their villages and how they had been forced out and, and their women had been raped and children had been uh, killed by making them carry huge items of, of military hardware. And I would tell these, uh, recount these things in, in uh, some of the presentations I make when I, I came home. I felt angry. I felt, I felt a wrath against uh, a military dictatorship which was doing these things, which was living a life of luxury whilst its own people were being exploited and particularly the minorities that the Karen were being treated in that way. And, and when, we, when we have these, these kind of moments, we, we have a, an inkling into what, what God must, must, be, must feel like towards sin, towards the, the breaking of his law. And our sin is so much more aggravated. It's an aspect of his holy character that God is wrathful against sin. But he is uh, a merciful God, and so he has made a way for us to escape his wrath. God himself propitiates his wrath. Now, this is an important point, uh, which we, we see here. Verse 25, God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. God, now the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is it is speak, are we speaking of? God the Father provided who provided the Son as a propitiation through faith in his 
blood. So we're not to think, we're, we're, we're to avoid this distorted picture of a stern and wrathful father uh, whose attitude towards us is, is changed by a gentle and, and compassionate and merciful Jesus. There's no tension within the Trinity. The Father provides himself the solution to his own wrath. This is, as we can speak of it reverently, the dilemma within the Godhead. God the Father takes the initiative. He provides. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So we've got to avoid these, these distorted ideas of, a, of a, an angry God, but a merciful Son. And the other uh, false idea is the, the idea that is in pagan religion, where it's the worshipper who propitiates the, the god. So in, in lots of pagan religion, you have worshippers and they're offering sacrifices and, and incense and so on. And the idea is that what they're doing is soothing an angry god. Our faith is very different from that. God himself provides the solution to divine wrath. God set him forth as a propitiation uh, through faith in his blood. God the Father takes initiative. Isaiah 53.10 captures the truth. Uh, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Although we can't calculate the cost uh, to the Father involved in giving up his own son, uh, it was he who planned and initiated it in order that his own wrath might be uh, soothed. Uh, so if we go back again, an, an earthly illustration is always faulty, but think about the, the, the man and his wife again. It's as though the, the wife has purchased the bouquet to soothe her own wrath. It's taken initiative. How does this benefit you? How does it connect with us? It might seem from what's written here that, well, it's, it's all okay then. Uh, if God's wrath against sin has been propitiated, then we're all right. But Paul is at pains to show that it's not an automatic thing. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. So the propitiation that's presented is relevant to us when we have faith in Jesus. So the expression in his blood, I think, is, is kind of shorthand for Jesus himself as sacrifice. So it's faith in Jesus that brings us the benefit of a wrath turned aside. Faith connects us to the end result of his death, which is that God's anger is no longer against us. Now, until we have faith in Christ, the, the reality is that we are under the wrath of God. And that's how the New Testament speaks of us. Ephesians 2 verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that, that expression, children of wrath, means that we were wrath-deserving people. We had, we had the, the wrath coming to us, if you like. And faith 
brought us into connection with Jesus' sacrifice. And now God's attitude towards us is changed. Now faith, as you know, has got three, three aspects to faith. Uh, faith, first of all, is knowledge. Uh, we need to, to understand what God is saying to us. So uh, uh, in this relation, we, we understand uh, that when uh, God tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't a tragic mistake. It was his provision to deal with a situation in which his wrath is directed against uh, people, uh, people that he wants to bring into his family. Uh, we've got to believe that, that the cross is the solution to that problem. Secondly, uh, faith not only involves us having knowledge about something, it involves us agreeing with that. So we say our yes to what God reveals. Yes, that's true. I am under the wrath of God, and this is most definitely what I need. I need to have uh, someone soothing that wrath so that I no longer properly under God's wrath. And then the third aspect of faith is that I, I commit and trust myself to that truth. So I, I need to have knowledge, I agree with it, and I entrust myself to that. I commit myself uh, to the Jesus who on the cross was the propitiation uh, for my sins. Now, the mention of blood, uh, faith in his blood, what we said it's a shorthand for Jesus and his sacrifice, it is mentally uh, jigging our minds back to the Old Testament and sacrifices. And in particular, to that momentous event, the Day of Atonement, uh, the once-a-year event when the high priest went, having sacrificed a bull for his own sins, took two goats, and one of them had the, the sin of the people confessed over its head, and then it was sent out, uh, never to be seen again, into, into the, the wild place. And the blood of the other goat was taken into what was called the Holy of Holies, like the, the inner sanctum, the place within the tabernacle, the holy place and the Holy of Holies. What was there? There was the Ark of the Covenant, this great box uh, which was carried by coals, and the Ark of the Covenant had a lid on it, and inside it were the Ten Commandments, and uh, on the lid there were uh, two, uh, two cherubim with their wings uh, over the, the, the ark. And the lid was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, the word that's used for the mercy seat is the word that translates propitiation. This mercy seat spoke of propitiation. How did it speak of propitiation? Well, the high priest came in, well, first of all, uh, it's a seat, therefore someone is thought of as sitting here. Who is pictured as sitting and thrown between the cherubim? God. God is looking down, and what does God see when he looks down? He sees his own law, which is a reminder that it has been broken by a sinful people. And so we have a problem. God must now demonstrate his wrath against a law-breaking people. The high priest now comes in and sprinkles the, the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat 
Greek, propitiation. The blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat, and God looks down. What does God see now? He sees the blood of sacrifice. The, the blood has covered over the reminder of a broken law. And that is that was for the Old Testament people a, a vivid picturing of what would happen on the cross of Calvary when shed blood would avert the wrath of God. Blood averted his wrath. Blood propitiated God. So Jesus has done what was symbolized in the ritual of the atonement day when the mercy seat, the helasterion, was was sprinkled with blood. He has now done what that symbolized by being a sacrifice and bearing the full weight of the anger of God against the sin of the people of God. And we obtain the fruit of that through faith in him. Lastly, why is it necessary? Why is it necessary? This idea of blood sacrifice and a wrathful God is abhorrent to to those who are of a a, a liberal disposition. Uh, They despise it. Slaughterhouse theology is what uh, some call it. But there is a fundamental reason why this is absolutely necessary. And it's grounded in the being of God himself. Uh, In verse 26... He did it, sorry, uh, verse 25, first of all, he did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The reason that propitiation is needed is, therefore, that God's justice is at stake. Uh, God's justice, literally, his, his righteousness is at stake. If God was not wrathful against sin, if he was indifferent to his commandments being broken, there would be no moral order in the universe, would there? It would be moral chaos. Now, you might think, well, it's hard to see how that would be uh, so bad. Uh, in the, the film Schindler's List, there's this well-known point where Oscar Schindler, the, the, the wealthy businessman who eventually manages to, uh, you know, to buy out uh, some of the, the Jews who are under a death sentence, he witnesses uh, in one of the ghetto areas of Krakow in, in Poland, the Nazis, uh, showing gross brutality, machine gunning down, uh, innocent uh, civilian people. And then, uh, as the, the Jews are being herded along in single file, he notices meandering in and out of this uh, a little girl, and she's wearing a red coat. And in the Spielberg film, it's the only colour in the film. The, the film's all in black and white, but there's this little girl in her red coat. And she's seen all that's happening, and she's, she's weaving in and out of the, the column and none of the soldiers does anything to her. And 
this comes home to Oscar Schindler at that moment, the, the chilling realisation of what that signifies. And that is that the Nazis are not concerned that there has been a witness to their atrocities because they've done all of this in the full knowledge of their superiors. There will be no day of reckoning. They'll not be held to account for this. They're not afraid that uh, a little girl witnessed and may speak. They, the leaders have thrown out the, the rule book. There is no moral order any longer. He's cut adrift with them in a world where there's no justice. Go into the streets today and uh, the one thing that everyone knows about God uh, is that if God exists, he's a God of love. And this means for most non-Christian people, indulgence. If, if God, uh, God, God forgives, uh, now God does forgive, but if that was all that God did, then uh, what the, the French skeptic said would be true. God will forgive me. That's his business. That's what God does. But what if God is also in the business of truth and justice? What if God is not ready to wink at sin? What if our reaction to atrocity, a reaction against Burmese military or Nazi atrocities, what if that is a pale reflection of God's response to atrocity? What if my sin and your sin is infinitely more scandalous and more aggravated and more wicked than we had thought? Then we have a problem. How can God show mercy and still be the judge who will uphold justice? Here's the great dilemma. How can God be just and the one who justifies sinners? This is the dilemma of the universe, and it is resolved in the cross, and it's resolved through propitiation. God is seen to be both the just God who takes sin seriously, who actually does vent divine wrath against sin, but who shows mercy by giving his only son, his only begotten son, as a propitiation to turn aside wrath. And only because of the cross can there be genuine forgiveness. There can be no true forgiveness without propitiation. God is a patient God. God had uh, shown forbearance to the sins that happened before verse 25. Uh, what this is meaning is that all the people of God who ever lived before the cross, they were sinners too. And the blood of animal sacrifices, which were simply helping them to understand the future atonement, the cross, they in themselves couldn't forgive their sins. And all the time, uh, God had allowed the sins of his people, his, his elect, to go on without a reckoning. Think of all that. Think of that accumulation of sin. Think of, of the sin of all the true Israelites of old who had faith. Uh, think of the sins of the, the, the people who came and were brought into Israel. Think of the sins of, of a Rahab. Uh, 
of, of Naaman, of, of Ruth. Their sins were accumulating generation by generation, an Everest of sin. And then, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. And he became the wrath-bearer. God demonstrated his justice. He became the true sacrifice whose blood would cover the mercy seat, whose sacrifice would soothe divine wrath. And without this, there can be no forgiveness. Watching uh, a thriller uh, the, other, the other night, and uh, in it, uh, a great hero, Jacques Bauer, was uh, reflecting on life. And uh, he was speaking to, to somebody who had who'd done something uh, to a loved one that he thought was bad and was feeling terrible about it. And, and his response was to, to share that he had done terrible things. He had, he had murdered uh, lots of people and had caused mayhem. But he says, what you have to learn to do is to, to move on, to, to move on in life. And you'll be able to do that. And then eventually you'll come to the point where you have to forgive yourself. And you know when you say that's what that's just what so many people believe. Uh, they believe that we have to forgive ourselves, and they think that that guilt is is something pathological. Well, the Bible tells us that guilt is a is a warning, isn't it? It's it's flagging up our condition before God. And no man and no woman can forgive themselves. Our offences against a holy God. No one can redeem themselves. No one can forgive themselves. There is no forgiveness without propitiation. God has provided a just atonement through the giving of Jesus Christ. Now, although it's such an important word there aren't many places in the New Testament where uh, propitiation is used. I think there are only four. But one of them is in an unlikely place, actually. It's in one of the parables of Jesus. And it's in the, the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector when they, they come into the, 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 the temple to pray. Jesus presents this, this Pharisee as someone who's very full of himself. Uh, just like the, the kind of figure we were thinking about this morning, uh, the Pharisee who loved to pray in full view of everybody else. So, so this, this man walks into the temple, and uh, the people who, who see him walk in, they're thinking to themselves, oh, here's Mr. So-and-so. We're going to hear a lovely prayer now uh, as uh, he gets up to the front and prepares to, to pray in a loud voice. And, and he, he prays to himself, Jesus says, because he's praying about himself all the way. And uh, he, he, he prays to God, I thank you that uh, I am not at all like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. And he's probably telling the truth. That's probably what he did actually do. And then the other one uh, has come in, and the same people who admired the Pharisee and were eagerly anticipating his, his words of blessing, uh, see this, 
this tax collector, and, and they, they regard him as, as somebody who's probably been up to no good, a, a Roman collaborator and all the rest of it. And Jesus says that, that when he prays, uh, his prayer is very different. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And so there couldn't be any greater contrast between the two men uh, and, and their prayer. One who is very confident in his standing before God and who is regarded as upright by society. The other one who knows that uh, he's not right with God. And Jesus gives the verdict on the two men. And it's, it's so contrary to the, the, the expectations of the day. I tell you that this man tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, uh, Luke is touching on the very issue that, that we've been thinking of in these Romans sermons, the issue of justification. Who went home justified? Who was right before God? Uh, and clearly, uh, the, the answer to that doesn't lie in, in, in the, the godliness of either of them. Uh, both the Pharisee and the tax collector were sinners. The difference was that the, the tax collector knew that he was a sinner and approached God seeking the provision that God has made for sinners. And the wonderful thing is that his prayer was was literally, God be propitiated to me, a sinner. He was appealing to the provision that God had made for an anger that would rightly fall on him because he knew he was a sinner to be turned aside, to be soothed because of the, the provision that would be made in Jesus. And God heard that prayer and he, was, he went home justified man, whereas the Pharisee was not. God be propitiated to me, a sinner. It's a wonderful gospel prayer. God always hears and answers that prayer. And that's the rub of the matter. No matter how we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, the main thing is that whether we had the words or not, the sentiments that we carry were present in our approach to our God. That he might have mercy on me who deserves sin on account of his son. Who has become my hiding place, my rock, my refuge. Turning aside the wrath of God because he was presented as a propitiation faith in his blood. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks that you are indeed a just and a holy God, and we bless you for the wisdom of the cross, in which both your mercy and your truth and your faithfulness are demonstrated. Lord, we thank you for this glorious <coughs> Bible doctrine that you have presented the Lord Jesus Christ at propitiation, and that through faith in his blood, we may know peace with God. We bless you, Almighty Father, for this, your love towards us. In Jesus' name.